Good morning and welcome to HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Seltzer. This is our 250th show. Hey, Stacey. Hey, John. How are you doing? Hopefully staying warm um, wherever you're at. Um, it's it's you know it's cold and gloomy, but cold and gloomy here means it's fifty. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> so, so twenty four so in North Carolina, which isn't as bad as Ohio, which is at negative one, is my understanding. So. Oh yuck, yuck. Yeah. Yuck, yuck, yuck! I was in Chicago accidentally for a couple of days, and. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I remembered why I don't go there in the winter. <laughs> and, so, and what were you in uh, Chicago for this week? It's, it's been a busy couple of, of weeks with both the news and the uh, oh, and the oh, work that we're both doing oh, in Sterling. I, I had a new client, and, and so I went and spent a couple of days with a new client um, and um, dug deep into how they see the world. It's, it's always an interesting thing to start working with someone new. Um, so, so, so that was, that was the big deal. Mostly it was, mostly it was Chicago and it was cold. My week last week was in Atlanta, so I can't complain. It was much better. So (laughs) it was nice and warm, all internal meetings. So, yeah. Cool. So what's in the mailbag? Well, it's been a, it's, it's, Busy, but but sort of different busy, right? Like normally there's a lot of moving and shaking, I think, at this point in time, money and investments. I think we saw a little bit of that last week. Um, but, but not a ton of it. I, I was sort of expecting a little bit more to hit the ground in this January. Um, we got some interesting news um, about sort of particularly the, the SMB HR space for that small, medium-sized business, which oftentimes doesn't get as much attention as, as the large guys do, right? Um, but paychecks. Um, uh, had an interesting uh, fun month where they got listed on Fortune Magazine's um, 2020 Most Admired Companies. That's an interesting one for an HR tech company. We get a lot of times on those best places to work and, you know, fastest growing, those kind of things. But the Most Admired, so that's that's kind of interesting to talk about. Um, Paycom, which is another uh, small, medium-sized business um, HR and payroll provider, um, just got listed with the S&P 500. So they're going to replace a company called WellCare um, with their shares up by, you know, 4%. I thought that was an interesting commentary on, on what we're seeing happen in the HR tech space, right? So probably worth having a, a bit of a conversation about that. Um, on the investment side this week, we saw a company called Personio, and I think that's a, a pronounced appropriately. Um, not a company that I've you know, gotten a chance to see yet, but they're a German-based HR platform for small businesses. They raised $75 million in Series C funding um, at a $500 million valuation. What's really interesting is that um, the investments in them have come from some names we know quite well, like like Big Venture Partners, as well as, as people like Lars Dahlgaard's um, uh, investment firm who used to be the CEO of Success Factors, which is sort of interesting in that sort of German SAP competitor space. So that's for some conversation. Um, ServiceNow picked up a new company called Loom Systems, um, focusing on um, a, a, um, artificial intelligence capabilities, which is worth some conversation, much more on their sort of operations and IT side, but still in the space. And then uh, workforce management software, some of you sort of, they're, 
one of the smaller but um, more uh, deep sort of workforce management tools partners very heavily with SAP oftentimes and other organizations um, have been in the market for a long standing time and they um, have launched some new stuff, including a new brand new UX and UI. And then if we get a little bit of time, we had some great um, insight produced from Randstrat SourceRights, um, their new 2020 talent trends report, um, talking about um, skills and gaps and where the market's heading from a talent management perspective. Um, and Nationwide, on, along the same lines, announced this week that they had $160 million they were putting forth for employee digital literacy training. So a busy week, but a, but a lot of different places where, where, where sort of the, the conversations could go, John. So where do you want to start with? Oh, I don't know. Let's talk about paychecks a little bit. They're an interesting company, aren't they? Yeah. They are a really, really interesting company. And this award, the world's I – have, I haven't digested everybody in the uh, – Category, but let's see. Um, wow, the ones I I think of. Let's get Oracle in there. <laughs> no, nobody, nobody that I know of is on this list except Paychex, and they are a um, an amazing company with a huge customer base. And a very quiet reputation. They seem yeah. to me to do um, uh, a great job of focusing on adding value to everything that they do. I don't know. What do you think about paychecks? You know, I, I, I've often said that paychecks is one of those kind of silent organizations. And I, and I say silent in the fact that I mean, they, they have over 600,000 organizations. So they're not a small company, right? They, um, they have a lot of very small businesses, so so they're sort of from a pure numbers perspective as far as financials, they're not as big as some others. But for the amount of customers that they're dealing with and the individual customer care that they have to deal with, you know, they're, they're a big company. They do a lot in the tax and investment uh, or the tax management space for these small companies. Um, and they're, you know, I'm, I've always been impressed, and I think, you know, your, your comment about them being quiet, I've been impressed by the fact that they are, they kind of are, are very focused on, on sort of very small steps forward every time I meet them. Very clear what they're planning on doing, moving forward step by step. And I will say this has been in just really the last five to, to six years. I think originally there was a perspective that, you know, well, we're, we're an older company with older software and, and we kind of just keep moving. In the last five to six years, I've definitely seen a shift in them making real movement every couple of years in user experience, new products, new uh, service models, new tools. So yeah, I think, I think, I think quietly, you know, deceptively, you know, they are inching their way up into probably one of the most important uh, technology players in our market, I would say. Yeah, I, I, I share your view. The uh, the thing that I found in my AI research is um, that they're taking it's not a, it's not a completely unique approach to AI, but it's but it is an interesting subcategory where what the intelligence does is um, help people do their jobs better rather than um, evaluate something externally. Right, and so this is this is 
the best case that I've seen of embedded AI that makes work easier. And, and that fits their persona, very practical in how they work with their, their customers and their clients. So I think we'll see a lot more from them. I, 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 I would expect to keep an eye out for them if I were someone watching this space. And then Paycom is now in the S&P 500. Yeah. That's I, I don't know. How big of a deal is that? Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm not in the S&P 500. I think it's a pretty big. I think it's a pretty big deal. It's it's a it's it, uh, the S&P 500 is the 500 um, companies in their index. Um, um, so they've got to be dancing in the street to pay them. They've got to be dancing in the street to pay them. This is a yeah. big deal. I think it is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's some names I recognize on here, a couple of other HR names, but definitely I think this, this, Put Paycom in a different, you know, light maybe from what others might have been have been viewing them. Similarly to Paychex, you know, we're 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 seeing these these payroll and HR companies that um, a lot of organizations I think discount because they're dealing only with with small and medium sized organizations, and definitely they're U.S. centered as well. So we have to keep that in mind. They're they're definitely not dealing with international and global, um, but. You know they're expanding pretty rapidly and picking up a, a market size that, um, you know, is, is is much bigger I think than most people are, are giving them credit for. Cool. Now for Sonio. Sonio is an integrated uh, HRIS recruiting and payroll system, and. They raised $75 million at a valuation of about $500 million. Bucks. And I haven't heard of them previously. Have you? Nope. No, but, but, but the world is big, right? The world is really, really big. And um, the idea that you can have a company that's clearly going to be worth a billion dollars in Germany doing SMB payroll. <laughs> that's 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 um, that makes my that makes my little xenophobic American-centric view of the world hurt. Um, it's so the world is such a bigger place than the United States, and, and it's really easy to forget that. It is very easy to forget that. And, and I think we can't discount that, you know, the people who are investing in this are, are names that we've seen invest in some of the, the largest, you know, and most interesting organizations in the market. You know, Lightspeed um, Venture Partners, we've seen in multiple previous investments in the HR space. Um, Lars Dahlgaard obviously has a longstanding experience in, you know, sort of investing in and starting up some of the most successful HR technologies um, companies, including Success Factors, who the CEO of, um, for, for many, many years um, before SAP bought them. Um, and it's been interesting because, you know, Personia, as at least, at least the, the way they describe them on their website and, and the way that they describe them as, you know, the, 
um, their plans for moving forward, you know, their employee ranges from 10 to 2,000 employees. 2,000 employees is really big. When you talk to someone like a paycheck, um, you know, they have a few that are at 2,000, but they really stop at like a 1,000 employee as far as their sort of focus, right, of uh, employee sizes. So 2,000 puts you solidly in a space where an SAP would also be selling as well, you know, at that end for uh, a unified business application environment. Well, but it's, it's an interesting interesting question about the investment. I, I, I don't understand any of the politics, really, but but – at one point, Lars Dahlgaard was slated to be the CEO of SAP, and then shortly thereafter, he wasn't. Um, mm-hmm. And so you could imagine um, wanting to build a competitor right in their backyard if that happened to you. Um, yeah. So so that's what's interesting to me about, about a Lars Dahlgaard investment in this space. Well, and it's definitely one to watch. I think, you know, we'll probably all be reaching out to, to, to a little bit more about them and to see where they fit in the bigger picture and um, with the number of companies that they have um, actually using the application right now. Right now it looks like they have, um, that they are in 40 countries and that they serve almost 2,000 customers, which is, is a pretty big number for an organization that's only been around for a few years. So not bad, yeah. So ServiceNow is just expanding its its AI operations into what looks like automated IT support with their acquisition of Loom Systems. Um, yeah. You know, you know, this is this is worth talking about. Uh, just to, just to bring up the subject again of, of HR technology as surveillance tools. Uh, ServiceNow serves serves a broader market than just HR, um, and they are a super, super interesting company. Um, This acquisition just sort of showcases uh, how you can have a difference in perspective if you are the um, provider of the service and the receiver of the service. And so, so this... Loom Systems uh, monitors what's going on on all of the desktops um, and helps improve issue understanding and um, diagnostics and fixes for IT stuff, which means they watch everything that goes on on all the desktops in order to collect the data. Um, and um, if you're on the receiving end of that, that feels an awful lot like surveillance. And if you're on the giving end of that, it feels a lot like collecting the necessary information to make the system work better. And exactly. both things are true, right? Both things are true. Um, but most of the players in our space don't understand that both things are true, that you can be doing a perfectly wonderful job collecting information that is innocuous um, in pursuit of a higher good while creating the perception of surveilling the employee population. Yeah. And I, I was, I did a webinar yesterday with, um, with the ultimate team in Cecilia Rowe. And um, what was so interesting about the conversation, because it was on the trust crisis. And I think it was just this exact topic um, was that um 
there are so many places where companies are are doing things with the idea that that they are they are in the betterment of everyone, right? You know, and so many times that the perception of the the um, workforce is is going to be very different. And you can't put your your head in the sand over it. You can't say, well, okay, well, if I just don't know about it and I'm the HR side, then you know, when everybody else is doing it, then I don't have to think about it. Because that's that's not an answer either. You have to be part of the conversation because what changes it from a surveillance tool to a strategic tool your organization can use to make business decisions that's valuable to everybody, including the workforce, is your ethics policy and your governance model, I would assume. Wouldn't you say? Um, It's certainly important to have an ethics policy and function in place in an organization today in a way that was never true before. But it's also entirely possible to have an ethics function in place and screw the whole thing up, right? Just because you have the process in place doesn't is not a guarantee of anything. Uh, so, so the the thing is that that it's hard. It's simply hard for uh, the people on the top of a hierarchical organization to understand what they look like to the people on the bottom of the hierarchical organization and the power dynamic. Uh, the, the, the people on the top can decide whether or not you have a job and people on the bottom can't. Uh, that power dynamic causes people to behave differently. It totally causes people to behave differently. And when that power dynamic is expressed as somebody watching your keystrokes to get at a better good, it's really hard for it not to be. To, it's really, really, really hard to to build enough trust in the organization so that people understand that it is not uh, policing that's being done, but it is building something better for everybody that's being done. You really have to work at communicating that, and it only takes one blip to make everybody not believe you ever again, right? So it's, it's a very, very difficult thing that organizations have to do to be effective in the 21st century, which is earn the trust of their workforce. We're seeing this in the consumer side. I mean, there's no doubt, right? So the, the idea of what Facebook and Apple and LinkedIn are all facing right now and Microsoft is, I trust you, but right. So the, the when you break that trust, it's really hard to get it back, right? Um, right. And also the the idea of transparency, right? Is is I have an expectation of transparency, um, and that's really hard for businesses and companies, especially in in a, in a different power dynamic than what you have with consumers. The consumers they can decide to use you or not use you, or decide to spend the money or not spend the money with you, right? Um, as you said, yep. in in a business environment that's not as true uh, in some areas people have more opportunities than others. Um, so what do you think is the answer here, John? Is it, is it that HR should step up, focus on transparency, focus on ethics, or do you think, I mean, there's a case I guess that could be made for this. I mean, it would be interesting to get, um, you know, your partner Heather's perspective on this, but is it more important to just focus on, data privacy, making sure nothing gets out, no information is shared, and that's our standard process. 
Now, I can't imagine anybody doing that. I, I, I think you don't have, really have much choice, but to have an ethics function, I think you might not want to call it an ethics function. Right. It's a it's a ongoing question that is open ended, that doesn't have a policy answer that boils down to are we doing the right thing? And and so the right thing what what the right thing is changes over time and, and that's why you can't make it a policy. But if you can figure out how to get the organization curious about are we doing the right thing, and what is the consequence of our behavior on the people in the place? You know, this is this should be in the um, uh, uh, workspace of somebody thinking about employee experience. Yeah. Because trust has to be the fundamental question in employee experience, and this function that I'm talking about that you might call ethics is – is a deep consideration of all of the things that build and hurt trust with the workforce. And that's a, an issue set that changes over time based on the fortunes of the company, the changes in the economy, uh, new competitors in the marketplace, all the things that an organization has to adjust to. Um, when you have to make those adjustments, that's where trust is at risk. Um, and so, like introducing intelligent tools into the workplace, that's a place where trust is at risk. Um, and so, so you need to, as part of implementation, uh, think about what it takes to make the the workforce embrace the new technology. What, what does it take? Um, and I don't think the question ever gets asked right now. And I think you you make a really good point there. You know, there's a lot of people in the market right now who are who are pitching engagement platforms and engagement experiences and 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 you know building out roles on the sort of um, employee experience you know function, right? Um, but I think your comment on the fact that the trust conversation, the ethics conversation, fits inside of that. Um, squarely makes that role a, a bigger and more important role because now it becomes not just about the, you know, the, the personal feel-good experience that the employee is having, but it also becomes about the perception and the ownership and the value of, of that relationship, right? Um, and then there's also, which I think is a really, this is what turns it into, I think, a bigger role, is the risk calculation, right? When you start thinking about the risk of that experience one way or the other, now you're starting to get into financials and numbers, right? Right. right. That, that's, that's good. The thing that, that is, is interesting here is this is right next to the inclusion conversation. It's mm -hmm. right next to the inclusion conversation. If you create an organization where it's okay for me to relax and be who I am, that's that's the primary indicator of trust, right? Is that is that I feel free to do work the way that I am, and I don't have to pretend anything to come to work. Uh, that's yeah. what inclusion is all about, um, and I am accepted the way that I am. Um, yeah. If you don't have that, and I have to put on some sort of performance because of the way that you're monitoring me, um, then 
it's not inclusive, right? That's this is this is this is uh, probably a new interesting area to talk about, which is technology as an inhibitor of inclusion. Because if it feels like you're being monitored, um, um, then you're going to behave differently, and you're going to behave as if you're being monitored. And people people who are being monitored have have less freedom to do smart things. And I think this trust conversation goes beyond just monitoring and capturing and data. It also goes to how we're designing the work environment. One of the few things that got tweeted out from that presentation I did. Um, yesterday, which I said it, and I don't know that I really, you know, it, it's how I feel, but, you know, there's a lot of, you have to really put some thinking into what it actually looks like in reality, but, you know, the comment that, you know, that we need to create an environment where work fits the employees versus making the employees fit the work, right? That's a really hard thing to think about, but I think that's what you're saying, right? Because if work fits the employees, that means it meets them in a place where they can do their job the way they know how to do it best, right? Tricky, tricky ground, it's, and it's really, yeah. really hard to generalize here uh, uh, because it sounds like you, you could forgive somebody who heard work designed to fit the person as um, uh, a a way of helping spoiled people feel productive, right? Because, that, because yeah. historic, historically work has never been designed to fit the worker. Work has always been designed to solve a, a larger financial question or a larger goal of some kind. And, and whether or not it fit me simply wasn't a question. Uh, and, um, Do we move into a, a world in which that's how it is? I, I have a hard time imagining how you get stuff done if you design work to fit me. You know, now, ergonomics, I should have a good chair and my screen should be the right distance from my eyes and my keyboard should give me carpal tunnel syndrome, you know. All of that stuff. Uh, but... Um, you know, if I'm an idiot, <laughs> you're going to design work so that it's idiot-proof? Um, well, uh, I, <laughs> and this is exactly why I, I, I was surprised I got tweeted out. But on the other hand, I had said it because it was fitting in the, in the context of the conversation about the fact that we that our workforce is definitely declining, right? And, and the amount of more highly skilled work, more complex work is is increasing, right? That the requirements for those levels of of sort of increased skill sets is growing rapidly. And every organization you talk to is talking about the fact that they don't have enough skills or talent to do the the things they want to do inside the organization. And and my sense on that is that is that we really need to rethink the idea of maybe what work is because if it, at, at a certain point we're getting to a point where we literally don't have the people to do the job, which means, you know, it's not just an education or a development issue. It might be that the work isn't being designed in a way that it's doable by, you know, the processes that we've put in place or it's feasible, right? I think there's a, a, 
uh, a work redesign concept that we have to keep in mind as we go through this this new world that we're getting into with artificial intelligence and automation and um, the idea of, you know, gig economy workers, we might have to rethink the idea of what work is. And I, I get completely what you're saying, that that is, it seems like it's off the top of, you know, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a spoiled sort of worker. I, I've always had a, you know, the opportunity to move from, from job to job. But I, I actually think there's something in it for the next decade. It, it, you know, I don't know exactly what it is yet, but I think it's worth a, a conversation. I do, too. I do, too. I wonder uh, – I've been thinking about this a fair bit recently. I wonder if, if we don't misunderstand what's going on in the workforce. Uh, and, and so the question there is um, – what percentage of the work done by people in the workforce could be done by anybody? Is it 60%? Is it 70%? Is it 20%? You know, given a little bit of on-the-job training, um, what percentage of work could be done by anybody? And you'd be tempted to think, I'm not sure this is true, but you'd be tempted to think that that's mm, – Minimum wage, is that what a minimum wage job is? And, and, and I think like half of the workforce gets a minimum wage. Um, and so so I don't know how you design work for the employee when um, it is a sort of a factory job in a retail setting or um, light industrial labor or um, call center sales, that sort of stuff. And, and, and my my guess is that that's the largest share of what the, the what the actual work is, and that the shortages um, are in pretty narrow categories. Well, I mean that just leads right into this, or maybe for our, our quick wrap up that we're doing. I mean, Ramstad did um, release the 2020 Talent Trends Report. Maybe we'll start off next week's conversation on this topic, because I I do think. I, I might disagree with you a little bit on that because granted, I, no, I get what you're saying good. that, you know, yeah. Yeah. And I think we can start the conversation because we're talking about, you know, is there, there's a difference between I can, I can walk in and maybe learn how to do the tasks of the job, but what these companies are saying they want is, is people who excel at them or who have the capacity to be agile and flexible that may not be feasible the way they design these jobs, right? Is that really what Walmart and Target are saying about their workforce? Costco, Amazon. That's the language we're hearing, right? <laughs> yeah. So well, I, 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 it's hear, worth I hear people talking about it, but, 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 but I, I have the hardest time believing it. So... <laughs> Good. That, that'll be something great for us. For us, to, that, that means we've got life in, in the um, in the old horse after show two hundred and fifty. So exactly. that is a delightful conversation. Thanks, Stacy. Always a pleasure. And thanks everybody for tuning in. You've been listening to HR Tech Weekly, one step closer with Stacy Harrison, John Sumser, show number two fifty. Bye bye now. Thanks everyone. Bye. Thank you.